Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts. Uh, maybe you want to learn how to make your own Twitch channel, podcasts, or outclass the competition. How does that sound? Well, the skills you learn in a creative degree in games, sound, film, journalism uh, will put you in a class of your own. Have a look at murdoch.edu forward slash arts to learn more about what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around the world and Australia. Uh, this is uh, my name is Mitch, and joining me tonight is my co-host Gianni. How you doing, man? Hello. Um, so probably worth mentioning, you probably got a, a whole bunch of new listeners. So welcome if you've just joined us um, on Pixel Sift. Uh, yes, we do talk about uh, independent games. We also talk about mainstream games as well, and we talk about stuff that is making the news in the world of gaming. So if you've just joined us for this episode. Welcome. Uh, we're looking forward to spending some time with you and, and hearing from you shortly. Excellent. Well, our guest tonight, incidentally, is Dean Walsh, the 3D art lead at Blue Manchu in Canberra. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dean. Thank you. And uh, Dean is going to talk about his uh, Blue Manchu's latest video game, Void Masters, which is taking the internet by storm. But first of all, Gianni, what else are we talking about? Yeah, so we're going to talk about the Playdate. It's a brand new console from a software developer and games publisher called Panic. It's their very first piece of hardware. It kind of jumped onto the internet and kind of blew up Twitter for a little while, um, but quickly was kind of associated with a little bit of controversy as well. And people have been questioning whether or not it's a good idea at all. Excellent. Let's get started. Hey there, if you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. Subscribe. Um, so last Wednesday, uh, Panic, the company behind uh, a bunch of software, actually, that's where they originally made their name in. They've done a lot of uh, sort of software for the Mac platform and have been doing that for a really long time. Recently got into the publishing business, and they were famously became the publishers of Firewatch, uh, which was a game that uh, took a lot of people by surprise and was really well-received. Um, and they're also publishing an Australian-made game called Untitled Goose Game. Um, so they announced last week that they were going to build their very own handhold gaming system called Playdate. It was pretty exciting. It's a very good color. If you look at it, it's bright yellow, so uh, you can see why we like it. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting sort of design, and um, it, it has a, a, a kind of sort of simplified Game Boy look. So the it's only key, black and white. The key talking point is the little crank arm thing that's like on the side of it, right? That's what. Yeah, like. it's it's actually got like a little physical piece of hardware, a little crank on the side, uh, and that's one way that you can interact with the actual games. Um, well, I, so yeah, it's been. Uh, this is a bit confusing for me because when I first saw it, I thought initially I thought that's how you charged it. Same, same. <laughs> I thought it was an emergency styled flashlight game. Yeah, like one of those wind up radios. Yes, I thought great. If you've got pl- power outage, this is a. Uh... A good game. So Games already the marketing did not work on us, Dean. It just, it just... <laughs> so, Dean, that was your initial thought. But what else have you thought about it now that you've kind of had a look at the, the handheld? And, and what do you reckon? 
Look, I I love uh, non-conventional input devices. So I, I think that's really neat, the idea behind it. And I can already see lots of interesting games coming out of it. I think it's more of an art device. I mean, you've got exclusive small selection of curated games. So uh, you didn't mention yet, but it, it is 12 games, I think, released on a weekly basis. Uh, but... Also, based on what I read, I think it's like they're unlocked on a weekly basis from when you get it. So it's not like if you buy jump one late. Yeah. Yeah. If you jump in late, you don't have them all unlocked. I think it is like a bit of a unique thing where as you play it, they'll slowly unlock. So, yeah, I mean, it's a novelty, but looks like a nice novelty. <laughs> it's it's interesting because I, I, I have seen a lot of people who, who, who are you know, big video game players, maybe they play games a lot and they're not the people who are really getting on board with this sort of um, idea. And I, I really think, and tell me if you, uh, what you think as well, if this is, this is not a console for your PlayStation player, your Switch player, even someone who plays 3DS. It's actually something for people who, who want to play a different sort of experience and maybe haven't picked up a, a game device for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, this is... It's going to be a collector's item kind of thing. And this is where it comes down to, it looks really nice. All the industrial design stuff for it, the concept behind it, black and white screen. It's very unique. It's very cool. Uh, it could release and it could be kind of not look nearly as cool as it does right now. That's that's the other thing that could happen. But in theory, if it is what it is, it's a. it could be a collector's item. I don't know what their plans would be if they do like it, keep releasing more games for it. If, or if their second phase is another piece of custom hardware, which maybe has like a touch pad or something like that, like a mouse ball kind of interaction, like that could be interesting, but it's just vague at this point, really. Like it's hard to buy into something when you don't really know what it's going to be, but they've got great developers behind. So, I yeah, mean, it's like looking um, at it now, it does promise, it is kind of promising quite high specs and that, the thing is going to have Wi-Fi, USB-C, and Bluetooth. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure why it needs all those things, and it's going to cost upwards of $215 if you want to buy one in Australia. Um, yeah. So I, uh, for 12 black and white games um, and a funny interface, I'm not sure how that's going to work here anyway. Um, in America, it might be a different story, but it just... It, I, I don't... It doesn't seem realistic to me. It being You're a consumer-friendly product, yeah. It just no, no. I yeah. I don't think it is consumer-friendly. I, I do think that's one of those things where people talk about it. It's not overly accessible because it is, but it is a collector's item. It's an art piece. I think that there's a different way to frame it, and I think that's probably more the audience that it's sitting into. Uh, the democratization of hardware for game consoles is really interesting. I think in recent years, you've had things like the Ouya which didn't quite... <laughs> <laughs> Just died this week, actually. Yeah. Oh, did it die uh, this week? Yeah, yeah. yeah Razer oh, nice. bought the company and shut it down. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, Hey, which company can we buy and shut down? <laughs> Pixel Sift, probably. <laughs> All um, right. we, we did go out there and ask a, a whole bunch of people on along Discord and Facebook as well to see what they thought about it because we, we were wondering whether they think it looks like a bit of a gimmick. And, and, and some people sort of say that it, it does. Um, Video Bames on Discord says it does look like a gimmick to me rather than a console that would be popular in the long term. Um, and Just a Fat Yeti on Discord also says, I think it's charming, 
it seems to have captured the imagination and attention of a lot of creative people, which is awesome. But that being said, I personally see it as a bit of a gimmick. And while I can appreciate the cost of production, I wouldn't be prepared to pay 150 US dollars for something that I can only play a handful of games. And I think most people might feel similarly. I sort of don't like the fact that they're kind of keeping all of those games hidden at this stage. Though they have announced a number of uh, key creatives, uh, Zach Gage, for example, um, Kita Takahashi, uh, also involved in the project. So there is a little bit of that information. Um, but yeah, tell us what you think. If you think it's a, a something that is a, a bit of a gimmick, do you think it's great? Let us know. You can tell us on, on chat. Yeah, you can let here. us know on Twitch. Um, I think it's okay for it to be a gimmick. I actually think that the idea that something being a gimmick doesn't diminish the fact that it can be an interesting experience. And I think, Dean, as you said there, you know, an interesting and different interaction uh, can bring out some really interesting games. I, I've actually remember one of the most fascinating games that we play uh, every time we go to the Games Week in Melbourne is this one-dimensional RPG. And all it has is a weird little toggly joystick. Um, and you, it's just a light of LED lights that's programmed with like an Arduino or something like that. And that is not a game how anyone else would normally see it with, you know, D-pads and uh, uh triggers and all that sort of stuff but it is a game and it's really interesting way to to experience that yeah definitely i think uh at gdc they do the i forget the name of the display currently but it's a kind of alternative control competition every year and it's got games controlled by puppets and games similar ones like that where it's custom arduino boards it's great it's it's interesting it's fun you don't see it normally so I, i think it's a real challenge as well people complain about innovation on consoles and stuff like that and the problem is things like connect the connect with the xbox is a really good example of that you're never going to get developers developing for secondary hardware like that if there isn't an install base something like this is great because anyone who has a device has the crank so every game will be designed around it every game's designed around this nice black and white screen stylish it's cool but yeah i it's not going to be competing with the switch it's not going to be competing with the big hardware manufacturers but it's a niche thing so uh, there is thanks. one sort of piece of controversy that has kind of um cropped up as part of this as well and that the the name of it actually um playdate it was uh registered by panic who are obviously quite a big company they've won a number of awards they've got um you know corporate software that they sell all of that sort of thing and it actually clashed with a, a another event called playdate that was at the LA Zine Fest, um, and they kind of put their foot in it a little bit because they um, sent an email out saying, "Hey, look, you know, maybe you guys at the Playdate event should change your name because we're just about to bring out this thing, um, and it, we don't want anyone to get confused." But it was kind of done in a sort of sort of semi jokey way, but it kind of was like, "Hey, look, why don't you change your name because we'll have to sue you otherwise." Um, so. It, that was one controversy that's kind of come out of that. Panic in their credit have kind of come back and said, hey, look, you know, we're not going to go after anyone who uses the name. They've had it for a long time. Um, but the event itself has actually changed its name to, to Playdate Pop-Up so that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't actually a clash. So I think the problem initially was the tone of the email. The tone of the initial email, and the, the, the email has been released, um, and they say the the email addresses their own product as like our dumb product, and like it's it's just full of sarcasm and 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 it just sounds flippant to be honest. Um, it it I I I just don't think it, it, the person that wrote the email forgot that they weren't typing on Discord; they were writing an actual email. Mm. 
it just seems like that anyway. Yeah, it's just a, it's just one little thing that's kind of a, a come up, come out of this as a, a sort of and and Ka- Cable Sasser, who is the, this, one of the founders of Panic, um, actually came out and said, "Look, you know, we sort of intended it to be this way, but we didn't realize now that we are the big company that um, you know has the market power, <laughs> unlike this small independent uh, arts event, which sort of was there to celebrate marginalized creators and and people to give them a different voice." So this sort of this controversy, good. it's worth pointing out, has pretty much overshadowed the fact that this thing has a crank on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well. It, 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 the uh, the art director that I currently work with, Ben Lee, I think uh, he had the he thought it should have been called the Crank Boy anyway. Yeah. Was his <laughs> so all, yeah. All, also Look. yeah, Playdate is a dumb name for hardware, by the way. Yeah, well, it, it sounds I, like a I, thing you go to. It, it doesn't sound like a piece of equipment. No, no, I think Ben's idea of Crank Boy or yeah. Super Crank Boy or Crank Boy Pocket is uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot more applicable. It's got there. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, thank you everyone who who commented on our posts. Um, if you want to be part of any of the episodes, keep an eye on uh, Discord and Facebook because you get a chance to, to share your thoughts. I'll leave you with a few uh, comments from people um, from there. Ocean Park on Instagram says they had me at Kita Takahashi, who's the developer of Katamari Damacy. Uh, uh, Popier on Instagram thinks it's probably both a gimmick and that it's also great. Um, and Benzene Machine on Discord says, I can't say that I'm on board with this new device. I'm having a hard time kind of understanding it. Not to be rude, but no, I wouldn't buy one, but I might change my mind after listening to the podcast. So tell us what you think, Benzene Machine. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I think that's enough of that. Let's move on to our next topic. Mitch, what's Discord. Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. So... Tonight, joining us is Dean Walsh, the 3D art lead of Blue Manchu, and he's here to tell us more about their game, Void Masters. Now, Dean, for those of us who don't really or are not up to date, what is Void Bastards? Um, Void Bastards is a strategy shooter that was we released this week from Blue Manchu. Um, it's quite an interesting game, I guess, to describe because there's not many similar titles out there. So we kind of talk about it as a bit of System Shock 2 crossed with XCOM and FTL, uh, if people are familiar with those games. So very systemic, lots of systems in the game. As a first-person shooter, you play as a series of prisoners who are woken up from uh, a freeze-dried storage type scenario. And each of these prisoners has their own characteristics uh, which when you die, you get new prisoners and fun stuff like that. And you're tasked with trying to find your way out of this nebula that you found yourself stuck in. So, yeah, there's um a lot to it. And I think we, we found it quite hard to explain early on before we actually could start showing people and letting them play it. I've been playing quite a bit of it uh, over the last week or so, and I think the the FTL comparison is is very apt when you're sort of describing that 
risk reward of where you're actually going to. Um, but once you jump into the levels, um, it, it it plays like a, a pretty standard shooter, but you are trying to work your way through these these levels. And, you know, timer is ticking down. You maybe only have a little bit of health. You have to scavenge everything you've got on every ship that you jump on. And sometimes you're like, you know, am I going to push forward a little bit further to go and get that extra bit of fuel or maybe some health, uh, but that comes at the expense of like wasting all your ammo and getting trapped in a really dangerous situation. So I think the way that you've kind of balanced it is really interesting. And I'm just wondering what were some of the, I guess, the key things when you were trying to shape that experience that you wanted people to have? So, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of layers to it, I guess, which is the best way to describe it, where there's these layers of gameplay or these layers of systems which all interact with one another. I think the benefit to it is that it's a game that is the evolution of ideas that have been brewing for a very long time by members of the team from from Jonathan Che originally. And so John was a design director on System Shock 2. And one of the ways that we kind of described this was almost like a sibling to Bioshock because System Shock was this very systems-driven title, had had all this narrative in it. As they did Bioshock, it focused in on the narrative. And this was this idea of like, could you do that type of game, but with a small team? And could you all get all these systems and use that to build out a bigger game? So the design process to it and the ideas behind it evolved softly through that. Um, But yeah, there there was lots of ideas as well in there. Things like keeping the player hungry, both in kind of wanting resources and wanting to find solutions as to how to how to get those resources. Uh, and I think that that definitely drove a lot of the development. We were able to prototype a lot. So, to me, it almost feels, in a way, a lot like a almost like an RPG or even an MMO RPG, in that you there is always one extra little thing that you can be working towards in every single place that you go to. Yeah, there's there's a bit of uh, not necessarily plate plate spinning, but there's always something you can do. There's like always an yeah, there's always an option. And so it's about that choice of do I go left, do I go right, do I use this item here, uh, things like, and I think before when you were, we were talking briefly about it, things like do I use some of my f- food to heal myself before I go into this next ship so I have a little bit more health or do I hold on to that because I know that I'm going to need that to move further in the nebula and get to my next destination. So there's a lot of pros and cons trading off what you want to risk, what you want to kind of see as a reward. So how do you how do you kind of balance all of that and not make the player feel like they're just spinning their wheels and and they're not really progressing? Lots of testing. Uh <laughs> so we we've been really lucky. We we've been working on this for a couple of years now. And even when I first joined the team, which was when they'd done, I think it was like one prototype, which was a really, really basic proof of concept that basic proof of concept had all of the most of the main beats playable so for years now we've more or less been able to play from start to finish in in a loose framework and john and farbs and and ben that they've had so much experience with their last game card hunter which was all about balancing and all about systems and john's been making these games for years now that's that's where where he comes from and so to see them balance those systems and get them in in a, in a kind of loose framework and then spend a couple of months as we kind of tweak and push and pull, you have all these exposed kind of levers. It's great because you can kind of be like, oh, 
people are starving a little bit too much. Let's bump up the food just by this or by that. So systems games are fantastic to work on because you've got all these options. You've always got some way to improve that experience for someone. So, yeah, it's the culmination of years of kind of playing around with those things. All right. Well, um, thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for watching Pixel Sift. Uh, if you've just joining us on one of our live platforms, we're talking to Dean Walsh from Blue Manchu about their new game, Void Bastards. Uh, now, Dean, what can you tell us about how you've developed the art style of the game? Um, because it's it's comic inspired, but it's also got a 3D aspect that that seems to still have come from a comic book space, but is is still very much a video game. Yeah, it's pretty unique in that regard. Uh, when when I was first talking to Ben Lee, the art director, about the project, uh, we, were, we were kind of sitting down and talking about what we could do and how we could bring his concepts to life. And he'd already done a, a few little tests here and there. He has a bit of a 3D background. So he was able to do some prototyping with it. Um, but I've been working on, and I only realized this when I was talking to Ben, every single project I've worked on has been incredibly stylized. So I've been doing kind of weird games for years now and as we sat down and and Fabs who does a lot of our graphics programming and I do a little bit of very simple tech art um, because I'm not a programmer but I can kind of knock something together and then Fabs can make it work and so we ended up having a really good balance where I could prototype something that looked really close to what we wanted everyone had a very uh, fine eye for detail. We were very precise with how we were doing things, but there was just one or two interesting bits of tech which Fabs had from the get-go. So things like our line renderer, which renders all the geometry like a consistent pen stroke. And just using those things, we slowly evolved this art style, which just kind of, we knew we wanted it to look unique, uh, but we were able to make it work really, really well. And uh, I was able to employ a lot of strange techniques that i've used over the years uh in new and interesting ways it's it's definitely got that unique look but one of the things that i really noticed um, when i was playing the game is it really does feel like those uk 2000 ad style comics um and really even to the humor of it as well is quite that sort of uk british style um can you tell me a little bit about how you kind of you know i guess pay tribute to that style of of, of creating a, a visual thing yeah definitely i mean the project started out a lot drier so when I was first working on it, we, it was called False Light in reference to uh, setting up false lighthouses to shipwreck ships and then loot them uh, on, on rocky outcrops. That was the original idea behind it. And I think before that, it was called Ghost Armada. But it was a lot drier. A lot of the initial artwork that I was working with was almost like pristine NASA-styled designs, but still in a comic booky look but it was a lot more cleaner and and things like that. We lent into a bit more of, and I think this is really to Ben's strengths as well. A lot of his artwork it was evolving as we were doing more concepts. And then we had uh, Kara Ellison as well come on as our writer. And, and once the full team was there working together in that sense, we actually found that that was where the fun was in it. And Kara was great and made this absurd world that we were kind of, operating in this kind of 2000 AD crossed with Douglas Adams kind of uh, world that was being built. And the art 
actually kind of followed along with that and just lent more into it. And Ben got a lot more black into his illustrations and we got a lot more kind of high contrast mm-hmm. and it just worked. It, it, it worked to the strengths of what the game was as well in terms of the mood that we wanted to invoke. Uh, it was really exhausting when it was a little bit too dry because it's a little bit too scary. <laughs> so. And so who is this game for? Who, who do you think will get a, a kick out of playing this? Um, I think it does different things for different people. So it's interesting. On the team, we've got five people in our office in Canberra and we all play it completely differently. <laughs> So I'm much more of a completionist. I spend a lot more time exploring and getting things. Other people play in a very kind of planned systems way where they've got these kind of techniques and they they know exactly what they're doing. Other people just rush through. It's a very flexible game in that regard where certain people can take different experiences out of it. But uh, definitely, I think uh, first person people who enjoy first-person shooters, people who enjoy taking... A little bit more time in a first-person shooter as well or having something break it up i think definitely are going to enjoy what it offers because it is quite unique in that sense you're, you're doing it when you explore a single ship which is when you're in the first person mode that's a short kind of little trip on its own and then you go back to the star map where you're making plans and your workbench where you're crafting and so you've got this really interesting and unique rhythm to it which i think is actually quite different to anything else which is out there um so yeah it's one of the things that does for me as well is i'm really really bad with first person shooters myself or games in general where i can save wherever i want because i'll always load up my save and try and do the perfect run for that room or something like that and i think something which which we do is because it's not a traditional roguelike or roguelite even where you lose all your progress. You get new opportunities when you die and it changes certain things and you lose some items that you might have had on your person. But as a result, it kind of, it keeps that high tension feeling. And it's something which I get from multiplayer games, but I don't actually generally get from single player games. So that's, that's another thing which I really like about it is it forces you to actually think on your feet. I'm the type of I'm the type of player that enjoys my Halos, my Destinies, my um so in some cases Call of Duty, the more traditional shooters where you kind of just you know you kind of attack everything you see. Is is there still room for my style of gameplay in Void in Void uh, Bastards? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, whilst you might come into the game trying that, you soon learn tactics or realize that it's not traditionally that type of game but it still uses employs some of those skills so and that's one of the really funny things because we we did quite a lot of focused early focus testing as well where we were kind of sitting people down and seeing if they understood the systems because it does it is tough most fps's treat and reward the player for clearing every single room that they see and very early on in void bastards if you're playing on kind of the harder difficulties or the normal upward i would say it's going to be really tough to do that but you can try and you'll get something out of it but then you'll see that kind of your cost benefit to that play style isn't always gonna get you the results you might be after so then you might mix it up a little bit or you might find that sometimes this works sometimes this doesn't you might find that there's a really good character loadout that uh 
works for your play style. So, for instance, you can get character traits. Some of these can be positive or negative. Uh, things like you can have a character that runs fast or you might have a character that uh, is short or tall or is colorblind. All of these things have impacts, but you can actually modify some of those as well. So if you've got a character, there's a trait called sticky fingers where you'll automatically pick up items. If you have sticky fingers and you've also got a fast runner and you've also got like increased accuracy or health or something like that, the game plays very, very differently because you're running around really quickly. You're just automatically picking up items. You're shooting people wherever you want. Meanwhile, you might kind of do the opposite approach like what I do where I get a character and I try and get them so they're, um, they can't be seen through windows. And then I use a weapon that I can use that shoots them through windows. And then I use a another kind of character trait where I can see enemies through walls, like through my mini map. So there's little ways that you can do that. And you can get a character like that that you really love and, and is working to what you've got. Then they die. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Chuck it all laughs> you, you push it too far and, yeah. and then you get something else and, you, and it might be a character trait you haven't seen before. And you might have to struggle through one or two ships and you're like, oh, they've got this or that. Then you realize, oh, actually, now I'm using this weapon that I didn't realize I, I hadn't had an opportunity to use it before effectively. Now it's my new favorite weapon. So I think there's a couple of those ideas in it where we want people to be using different weapons. We want people to be trying different ideas because they're kind of forced into a corner. Because there's a lot of games where I think people get really, really comfortable and they don't actually explore the rest of what that game might have to offer. So, And yeah. we were talking a little while ago and you said that it's actually a game unlike any other project that you've done uh, that you actually still come back to and you enjoy and you were playing it all the way through. How does that feel? Uh, good. I mean, not to, not to discredit other projects I've worked on, but there's definitely... Um, it's the type of game we've... Because on a small team as well, you do a lot more playtesting than you would on a larger team. Where on a larger team, you, it's it's not really the most effective use of your time always uh, if you're on a big team to be doing a full playthrough of the game, for instance. Um, but with this, yeah, we, we were constantly playing it. And I, I do remember it would have been maybe... Uh, would have been... We were st- already worked on it for quite a few years, but... It was at a, at a quite complete state. And I remember one evening on the weekend where I'd been playing Overwatch and I was like, oh, I should fire up Overwatch, play some Overwatch. And I was like, no, you know what? I'm I'm actually going to play my own game, which <laughs> I'm going I'm to play that for an hour instead, which seems a little bit bizarre. But for me, it was that kind of thing of it offered what I wanted at that time, which was I wanted to sit down spend an hour running around, thinking about things and shooting things, but I didn't want to deal with people. So it was a pretty good option. (laughs) Blessed relief from all those people online. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, Dean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, The game is out right now. You can find out more information if you head to voidbastards.com. You can pick it up on, um, on the Humble Store. It's also available on Xbox, and you've got a Discord server as well where people can jump in. And I yep, think you're yep. giving away pins as well if people wanted to. Oh, uh, we gave away, away the last pin because oh, we were Gotta giving them up, up towards the release. We were giving them away. But I think there's we've still got a fair few, but they're 
most of them are in Toronto of all places. So, <laughs> so we've actually, in Toronto, <laughs> we've, we've actually got a launch party this weekend in Toronto, which nice. unfortunately I will not be attending, uh, but our audio director and our art director will be at that um, big party, which will also have some pins, but for us in Australia, not that convenient. <laughs> Next time. All right. Next well, game. let's jump on a plane, yeah. Mitch. Let's head to we'll Toronto. Get, we'll get yeah, I, I think we were talking about that in the office. We were like, oh, if we last minute decided, would we be able to make it in time? Like $10,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, $10,000 later. No. Yeah. Anyway, until- uh, Dean, It's been until- a real pleasure talking to you. Go, Mitch. Oh, yeah. Uh, until next time, thank you very much uh, for talking to us, Dean. Um, and thank you very much to our audience for um, tuning into another episode of Pixel Sift. Um this episode has been hosted by myself and Gianni, and uh, thanks for joining me tonight, Gianni. No worries. It's very fun. And it was produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, and our executive producer is Gianni Di Giovanni. Uh, we wouldn't be mm. able to make 122 episode- episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. Um, so you can go check that out and tell them we sent you. And if you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. Uh, we'll always be, as always, we'll be sticking links to the topics and everything we talked about on the show in the notes on our website, www.pixelsiv.com.au. Um, and on uh, our website, you can see articles like the one we did this, a uh, couple we did this week, where Western Australia finally has its own uh, video game funding scheme after many years, thirteen years in fact. And uh, so you can read up all the details of that and find out what West Australian game developers think about that. But you should come join us on Discord because we'd love to have you there. We can have discussions about this and every other topic that we talk about. That's on pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And you can also share the work that you're working on, your creative work. You can talk about topics and you can find people to play online to pixelsift.com.au or slash discord now if you like what we do please tell a friend um, we don't pay to advertise and we rely on the word of mouth to find the show and uh yes our next episode will be on the 13th of june so if you join us uh, so if you do join us next time um next week we'll be playing a game um i believe we're playing te- a major uh, teleblast uh, and uh, that's another indie game made right here in Australia. So uh, thank you all for joining us this week, and thank you very much, Dean, for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>